Welcome back, folks, to Big Mama Hex podcast. Today, I am sitting down virtually with Len Smith. Len is a wonderful friend that we got to know through his filmmaking and his um, work that he was currently working on a few years ago. Um, I guess, I want to say 2018. Um, it was called Myths and Legends, Hex Signs of the Pennsylvania Dutch. And this was a film that was a follow-up to a series that he had done in, Len, was it the 80s, did you say, or the 90s? Mid-90s, yeah. yeah. Mid-90s, um, called Expressions of Common Hands, Folk Art of the Pennsylvania Dutch. And that film was an hour-long film that, sh that was shown on PBS. You'd probably do much better at talking about this than I am. Um, and it's incredible. Some of the artists in the film from the mid-90s um, have actually passed since then, and it's really neat to watch. Please, I will link everything. Check it out, and also check out the newer version, which is called Myths and Legends, Hex Signs of the Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, and the series is wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to talk to Len and share with you all about his process and what it was like for him making these films. So welcome, Len. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to talk about these. Yes, yes, very good. So what year was it? I think it was 2018 when you filmed this, is that correct? Well, that's when we met. Uh, I actually yes. started the this program back in 2013 uh, gotcha. with talking with, with Eric Claypool. And I was doing this as a self-funded project. I'm a video producer by trade. So, you know, work-a-day world, I was producing TV commercials and corporate videos, uh, you know, as how I make my living. But uh, this is something that I had kind of set upon back in the mid-90s when I was approached to produce the Expressions of Common Hands video for PBS. Uh, I was then working for uh, Time Warner Cable in Reading, Pennsylvania, um, and they gave me a list of subjects they were interested in, and I had been interested in the art of Pennsylvania Dutch since I came to Pennsylvania in the late 80s. I'm originally from Texas, so uh, we didn't have any, you know, ethnic art as such. Um, mm. Texas is, is a much, much newer place than Pennsylvania, uh, so there's mm. not much history. Uh, so I had already been introduced to um, Pennsylvania Dutch art uh, by going to the Kutztown Festival since uh, I started coming here um, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, and I knew that was one of the subjects that they had on their list, and I immediately said, well, this is something I can do and something I like, so let's dive in and see what we can do with it. So, yeah, that was one of my... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Len. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that was one of my questions, sort of, because I knew you were from Texas, and I was wondering how you came... How did you stumble upon this um, content and subject matter? So it was through going to the festival yourself and having an interest in the work and then also through your um, production company which is called Turning Point um, that was something that they were looking for as well so it was kind of um, everything came together at once for you. Right. Um, a, a friend of mine who had actually introduced me to the people who were broker 
offering the the program for PBS uh, introduced me to Dave Veluska, who was at that time the president or whatever of the Pennsylvania German Cultural Heritage Center. And he yeah. said, well, this will be uh, De- uh, Dean, who was my friend, introduced me to, to Dave. And he said, he's going to be a really good place to start and a good resource for finding other information out about what we want to search for. You know, at that point, I didn't really know what I was looking for. Um, this was just going to be kind of a journey of discovery for me and film it while I was discovering things. So um, from talking with him, uh, we kind of set out several different aspects of the art um, and wanted to kind of explore each one from Fractor, which was kind of the first one that uh, kind of set everything else in motion, and hex signs and pottery and decorating wooden trucks, um, tinware. um, Is that all of them? I think that's most of them. Um, uh, of course, uh, the clay, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and pottery. Wood and wood, yeah, wood, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, these all had, these all had a, a lot of similarities. Uh, so I just went, I found artisans who were practicing each one of these, uh, these arts and talked to them about their experience of, you know, why they were doing it, how they learned it, you know, what it meant to them and those kind of things. Um, but as we were doing this, you know, I met Johnny Claypool, who mm-hmm. for anybody who knows anything about hex signs, <laughs> Johnny Claypool is a very, very important uh, player in, in the history of that. And he's such a yeah. colorful, colorful character uh, that, you know, I was really drawn to it. So, and I'd already met Johnny at, at the festival uh, and he and his son, Eric, uh, you know, were, were a good interview and something I decided at that point in time, even though I was going to finish this piece, I knew I wanted to explore hex signs in more detail at some future point. So that's kind of where, um, led me to the next step, which took several years to get there because I was still, uh, working on other projects. And this one was really, the second one in particular was uh, self-funded. You know, there, there wasn't a, buyer and there wasn't a home for it uh, predetermined before we started and at this point still isn't um you know it's just kind of a kind of a labor of love that i said you know i'm going to do this and you know i'm going to finish this story to my satisfaction uh and then whatever happens to it is is fine so that's kind of the the lineage of the projects themselves yeah, that's incredible. It's so interesting because when I was preparing this morning and just thinking about your story and how you shared how you came to these projects, it reminded me so much of my own journey in that I didn't grow up in this area. So I grew up in Bucks County and, and very much um, I consider myself part of the uh, diaspora of Pennsylvania Dutch people. And so all of my exploration and all of my research, number one, it starts with a visual response, like an aesthetic response to the work. But then I don't, I don't have the benefit, or it could also be viewed as um, sort of, um, what's the word that I want? I don't have any context or negative feelings towards any of the artists or any of the kind of drama. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's kind of nice to go in 
in in that way to this research just because although sometimes it works against me because people will say to me well did you get this person like peter fritz for instance i would have never known how important he was to the people but i think it's interesting that your journey is kind of similar to my journey in that we kind of didn't know where to start and and, and it's fun to watch how you know starting with Proctor, how it led you to the next thing and then the next thing and um especially with Ruth Ann Hartung, she is such an inspiration to me, definitely um, inspired my work mm -hmm. so much. And unfortunately, I didn't get to know her because she had passed already. But um, it's so neat to think right. about your story in that way about this body of work, because I think there's something very poignant and fresh about having someone that didn't necessarily grow up in the area or maybe doesn't necessarily take... Um, it's not so... Um, What's the word that I'm looking for? Hang on one second. <laughs> so the coffee's still kicking in. Um, it's not, I guess, shrouded with this familiarity and it's just normal life and these things are just the things you grew up around and you were immersed in it your whole life. It's very fresh and new to us. And even as an adult, right. we moved here in 2014. It was so exciting to me. And I think people coming to the work in that way is very exciting and refreshing. And especially when you're showing it um, in a film or presenting it as research in a book or something like that. I think it's really, really neat. And I thought about that this morning. I thought, well, Len and I have a lot in common in that way because I remember when we met, um, for instance, I think maybe if another filmmaker had made it that maybe perhaps was very familiar with the culture and sort of the pecking order or the hierarchy, perhaps like Hunter and I might not have been included in the film. And I was really grateful that we were because um, I think that it's important to show all aspects. And I really appreciated that in your um, Myths and Legends Hextine film that you did offer us an opportunity to share our story as well. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? How did you, I think you and I, I think you found out about Hunter and I maybe through Dr. Werner in Germany, is that right? Because I think that you had a relationship with him, which is Actually, very interesting. Found well. out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not familiar with that name, but I, I what I did, uh, and just to go back to your previous point about being unfamiliar with the art, um, in, in the work that I do, you know, I've been doing this since the mid '80s, and yeah, do the math. Uh, <laughs> I've always, I've always used my unfamiliarity with something to look at it with fresh eyes. Yeah. So if I were if I were to go into a business, I would be able to look at things differently than the person who's who's there every day, um, right? And and like look at it from yeah, we'll look at it from the man on the streets perspective. And I always told my yes. my uh, my clients, I said, you know, it's very difficult to read the label on the bottle from the inside. Yes. And that's yeah. and that's kind of the perspective I always took. So, you know, coming to Pennsylvania, you know, everything was new to me. In fact, when I was in Texas, uh, growing up as a student, I had no interest in history. It was just boring. It was dates and times and blah 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 blah. Yes. You know, and and there was not there was not there was no there was no symbology. There was no significance to me because I couldn't see history locally mm -hmm. you know i lived in a small right. east texas town there was nothing you know it was the pine belt and there was trees and that's what it that's all there was <laughs> but i come yes. to pennsylvania you know and i see everything that uh, you know supposedly had been talked about you know 
my wife is from Pennsylvania, and that's kind of why I'm here. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we went to go see the Liberty Bell, and she hadn't been there for years because, you know, she knows it's there, but she didn't care. You know, but it was right, important right. to me because I, I, I'd never seen it. So seeing something right. for the first time makes it much more special than seeing it all the time. It's kind of like yeah. you see a picture on your wall and you put a new picture on the wall. And if it's there for years, you, you know, you don't see it anymore uh, yeah. unless you move it somewhere else in your house. So that's kind yeah. of the perspective that I took on a lot of this. So going back to your question about how the people that are in this particular film came to be, well, I, I knew Eric from the previous project and he was really the only one. Well, he and Ivan uh, had yeah. been interviewed before. So I know those two people. So, um, and through Eric, I met Patrick Dunmore, who's now the, uh, what's his title? Director of the no, sorry. Pennsylvania Cultural yeah, Heritage. Yeah. So, sorry, you know, there, well, he, 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 yeah, uh, you know, he's, um, uh, and I knew Dave Fuchs, um, yes. who was then the uh, director of the Pennsylvania, or uh, the Kutztown Festival. Um, yes. and, you know, we had been friends for a long time. In fact, I would kind of been a patron of the festival doing promotional stuff, uh, pro bono for them just because. I liked what they were doing, and I said, well, I can do this, and, you know, I'll help them promote. You know, I was producing commercials and helping them get where they needed to be um, and just doing that pro bono. So we had become friends. So, uh, you know, the conversation started with with um, Dave Fuchs and Eric um, and eventually Ivan and Patrick. In fact, Patrick was really instrumental in, in helping me find a lot of the lesser known tech signs on barns throughout the region. He had done a book while he was still uh, doing his studies. He actually authored a book about the topic as well. In fact, it was funny because uh, when I told him the, the, the title, the working title that I had, um, you know, myths and legends, he said, uh, you know, he, he was kind of like, well, Mine's going to be myths and meaning, so, you know, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, now who's going to use it? Well, we both use it, so it didn't yeah. matter, but, no. you know, as a departure from that, you know, I, I've had a, you know, Ivan has always been a really good friend to me, and in fact, every time I've interviewed him, yes. invited me up to his house, and his wife made lunch, and we just had a nice day. Um, yeah. Talking about all this. In fact, I don't. I'm sure you've been there, and he has his own Hall of I Fame, haven't. literally, of uh, of left. other. I have not. Oh well, you need to. You need to. I need to. Yeah. In what, yeah. It, he has a hall in, in his house decorated with all the work of all the various um, important yet forgotten artists uh, who are working in the in the medium. Um, yeah. and names, a lot of them I'd, I'd never known. So, you know, I had, I had these three people that were working artists, you know, Patrick, even though he's an educator and uh, he comes from it, from that perspective, he was learning the craft from Eric and, uh, you know, he kind of took on as, as an apprentice and now he's kind of doing his own thing. Um, 
but I, I just didn't feel like my story was broad enough. You know, I had um, been introduced to Robert Ensmager, who's more of a historian, and uh, he was a history teacher. Uh, I forget where, but he was more interested in the architecture of barns and being able to date them and understanding how they evolved once they came to this country. But he also was real familiar with the backstory of the practice of decorating things um, from what he called Vineland. Um, and, and the term Pennsylvania Dutch uh, really is, you know, I thought at the time it was, was a misnomer for the name Deutsch, which was German. Yeah. Well, at the time when yeah. people, when when these people were really coming here, there wasn't a Germany. Um, it, it didn't it didn't exist as Germany. So I don't know what, what uh, the Rhineland was um, the area that they were coming from, but mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know who started calling them Dutch. But um, Eric kind of explains that in, in the video as well. But. So I had talked to him, but I didn't really get much in the story of the lineage of who started it here, how did it progress, and where did it go uh, from him. So I was talking with both Eric and with and with everybody, and Ivan mentioned your name as a you know contemporary art, artist, and, and that's how I um, came to meet you. In fact. I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't aware of Hunter's work until I actually came to your house. Um, wow. He just, you know, so yes, that's yes. kind of how that all <laughs> took place. You know, that's and I said, oh, well, here's another one. I, yeah, so I said, oh, well, I'm I'm getting a twofer here. So yeah, there you uh, go. So I, I interviewed both <laughs> you and, and Hunter, and you both have very interesting but yet totally different stories, uh, yeah. which was helping, helping me broaden uh, my subject, you know, it, with very contemporary views of, a, of you know, an old tradition. Um, so that's kind of how everybody came to the party. Oh, that's so neat. I don't think I realized that Ivan had told you about me. Ivan is absolutely, though I was basically, I mean, Hunter and I were in a relationship, but I was his apprentice as far as learning hex science. Ivan is my person who inspires me the most. Um, so that's very touching. And he and I have developed, a, a, and of course, Dorothy, because she's so lovely. We've all developed a very beautiful friendship. And he, well, the first time he bought a piece of mine, well, we actually traded. And I was beyond excited. It was a bell snickle piece. And I was mm -hmm. just so blown away because he's so special and dear to me, Len. And like you said, just the most phenomenal person and Dorothy as well. Um, they're just, I have to get out there. They've, they've invited me so many times, but with my young family, um, especially my son, it's just difficult to get away, but it's on my list. Yeah. And then of course COVID hit and now everything's on hold, but um, they are so special to me and so dear. And his work is so incredible. And I think another neat thing about Ivan that, that moves me particularly is that he's also an art teacher as well, which I am. And he brings that into his work and into his vending events and, and, and into his exchanges with the with the folk and the public and and he thinks very 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 carefully about the moves that he makes for instance when he um was doing screen printed hex signs he was thinking about how it would help get this artwork 
out to a larger audience and thinking of these things as like really positive expressions where sometimes it was thought of as negative. And I really like his perspective right. on things. Um, Ivan's a very favorite of mine. He's just a wonderful person and we enjoy seeing him every day at the Fall Fest, taking his walk because yep. we're sort of behind where he, where he works. But that's so neat to hear. I had thought it was through Dr. Werner, who's um, actually a, a German doctor, um, in the Palatinate, and he does a lot of work here. He's um, the person who started Hiva Vidriva with the Heritage Center. So he's a pioneer as well in our culture, even though he's in Germany. So he exchanges a lot with us about, um, you know, what's where his, things have what's come. His, name? his name's what's Dr. His Warner, name? Mikhail Warner. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've come across him. Yeah, we. Uh, actually exchanged um, communications over Facebook, but I never knew much yes. about him. Um, so, yeah, I, I came across him, but that, that was not how I met you. Yeah, he w he's a really wonderful guy and was very instrumental in helping me um, achieve a certain level of um, he's shared a lot of my work and helped me achieve a certain level of um, visibility in in and among the folk mm -hmm. artists the contemporary folk artists but i wanted to take this top time and opportunity to also thank you len for putting me in your film because i felt like not only was it exciting to be a part of something so incredible with these incredible people that i respect and revere so much but it was also really powerful for me as a female um to be highlighted in that way so i really appreciate that so much and especially um that Ivan thought so much of my work. So thank you very much again for the opportunity. It was so much fun to be a part of the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you were, of course, very similar to Ivan, very easy to get along with and very, very kind and very welcoming. And I think maybe part of the Southern charm <laughs> that it was very easy to get along <laughs> with you. And, and we felt very comfortable with you in the home. And I think my son was featured a little bit in the film too, because at the time, yeah. you know, if, if we were, if we were going to get any work done, it had to be work that we could do with them and around them for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You definitely have a, exciting. have a tribe to deal with there. Yeah. And your, and your son was kind of, your kind, your son was kind of special to me as well because of, yeah. of uh, being on the spectrum. I have a son who's yeah. 28 who lives with us, uh, who, you know, is very special, but you know, we'll yeah. never really have the opportunity to live alone. Um, so, yeah. you know, I've, I've had a lot of that same experience myself. So, uh, yeah. it just changes your perspective on things. So. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. neat to connect with you in that way as well, because you know, he was, so he would have been, let me think, he would have been about four and we really didn't know what to expect. I mean, as a teacher, I knew a lot about, um, the spectrum in general, but I didn't really understand mm -hmm. from a parent perspective. So you offered us um, some insight into that and it was very meaningful. And literally, Len, I will quote you constantly to my husband and you oh. know, whenever we get, well, in a good way, but you know, I think you had said something to the effect of, you know, it's his world and we're just living in it. <laughs> and like, yeah. I think about that a lot because I have to remind myself because he's very, He's an incredibly creative human, my son, Hunter. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also, you know, I don't know how else to explain it, but with his particular um, version of the spectrum, mm -hmm. he's very egocentric. And it can be very difficult oh, yeah. because, 
yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I remind myself of your words often because I think of your strength and your wife's strength and 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 I think about how you've encouraged this creativity in your son as well. And I try and remind myself that you know, that you know, keep looking forward and going forward and and that's just how he's a little different. So I do appreciate that very much. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, did, no. I did, <laughs> I, and yeah, you just, you said something else too, like, you know, we just work for him and I'm like a hundred percent living that life right now. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it's funny because, uh, the other day, um, you know, we've taught him to be fairly self-sufficient. So we, we've given him uh, materials and whatever to make his own meals for breakfast and lunch. Generally, my wife will cook dinner, but breakfast and lunch, um, generally he's on his own. We've given him things that he knows are okay for him to use and everything. But the other day I was uh, making breakfast for myself and I decided to make him a portion of the same, you know, scrambled eggs and sausage or whatever. Uh, and, you know, I just saved half the pan for him. And I told him, you know, I had some breakfast for him down and he came down and he said, Oh, you were so spoiling me. I don't know what to do. I said, really? Okay. Well, <laughs> but, uh, you know, our, our version of Dylan's existence, we kind of say he's diagonally parked in a parallel universe. So, um, you know, he, he's here, but he's, sometimes he's not, <laughs> but yes, uh, you know, he has so his own true. thing. He, he has his own things that he likes to do and he has opportunities mm -hmm. to do those. And, you know, what else could you want out of life? You know? Yeah. So, honestly, you know, it's very true. Well, we don't get a chance very often, my husband and I, to be around young adults or adults with autism and we it's just a totally um uncharted territory for us and very uncomfortable mm -hmm. to worry especially myself hunter doesn't worry very much but i worry a lot about what hunter's life will look like and what would happen if i were to pass like how would that go but it was neat to have a conversation mm -hmm. with you because um it's just nice to know people that have have figured it out and are doing a great job and you guys are doing a great job and i love dylan's weaving work if you wouldn't mind let's uh -huh. kind of um pivot a bit i do want to come back around okay. to the hexine tour and stuff but i do since we're talking okay. about dylan um let's talk a bit about uh take two alpacas you have a is it called a herd of alpacas yeah 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 we have herd? 15 okay. yeah uh we Can purchased we uh, this yeah yeah we purchased this farm back in 2008 uh we had been kind of enamored with alpacas since we met them at the farm show several years before that. I mean, we didn't have a farm at that time, but both my wife and I had kind of farming in our DNA, you know, mine through my grandparents both had farms and my wife was a horse girl growing up. So, you know, we both kind of liked that dirt beneath your fingernails kind of aspect of life. Uh, and at the time, you know, I was producing video and she's uh, uh, a business manager uh, for a radio station. Uh, so we were both in media. In fact, that's how we met. Uh, she also does voiceovers for me. Um, yeah. That was the genesis of our meeting. So uh, if you look at my YouTube channel, you'll probably hear her voice more than anybody else. <laughs> uh, 
Yes. But um, so, but you know, you you kind of get to a point. You know, what else is there in life that you can do besides, you know, making a living? And we right. both had our individual things that we like to do, but we never did anything specifically that we did worked on together. So the farming thing kind of started moving up to the front burner, so to speak. And we started jokingly talking about, yeah, when we have our alpaca farm, blah, blah, blah. And that went on for about six or eight years, not really doing anything about it. But then um, we met some folks that had a farm uh, down in Cape May during one of our vacations. And it was an elderly couple that he was outside talking with people about the animals. And she was inside showing people the uh, alpaca wares that they had made or they had bought or whatever. Um, and we came away from it saying, well, they don't look any smarter than us, you know, <laughs> you know, and they, and, and they don't look particularly stressed. So this looks like something, you know, maybe we should look at. So this kind of continued to go on for a while. And then eventually, uh, we kind of got the bug beyond redemption. So, so to speak, um, and we started looking for a place and, um, you know, I wanted a place that I could continue the video business and have the farm too. And the kids need to be in the same school district. So that was a lot of, uh, filters that you had to put all this through. So it took us a, almost a year to find a place. Um, but then when, once we got it, we started acquiring animals from different other farms. Uh, started out with uh, four females and two young boys, um, and then have grown it from there. We've had, I think, last count, 18 babies since 2009. Uh, yeah, that's the best part of it because, you know, it's just like so real cool. babies, you know, human babies, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then they grow up, and then they're not as much fun once they become teenagers. <laughs> But, uh, oh, amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, through all that, you know, alpacas make fleece, and you got to do something with it. So we started yes. um, the, the journey then figuring out what to do. You know, I told the wife, I said, well, you know, she, she learned how to spin yarn from one of her mentors. Well, that kind of only gets us part of the way. Mm. And I said, well, you know, if we're going to be alpaca farmers, maybe I ought to learn how to weave instead of just fixing fences and scooping poop. <laughs> so I actually, I went, I went to a, a class out uh, close to Gettysburg and spent several days there um, learning weaving um, and brought that back and, you know, was doing it and we had bought a loom and all that. So I was trying to figure out what we're going to make and scarves seemed, seemed to be a, a good you know, prospect for us because you, you know, if, you, if you're going to make them, you got to sell them. So we had made a contact with uh, a local orchard to be there uh, during their fall festival days. Um, so we would bring animals in a pen and we bring our wares. And uh, we've been doing that for 12 years now. Um, oh, wow. But what is you that know, called, Len? The, the festival? That is. Yeah, that is Weaver's Orchard Family Fun Days. They're on Route 10 okay. in Berks County. Uh, gotcha. 
um, yeah, it's it's a great time for for families. Now, this last year was kind of weird because of the sure. of uh, COVID, but but every year, you know, there's plenty of stuff for especially younger kids to do. Um, and we had a, a pen set up to where kids could come up and they actually could touch the animals and pet them. And you know, I would talk to them about you know what these animals are, where they come from, and what they're like. And you know, it was just a nice ongoing conversation. Uh, and my wife would uh, show people the things that we had, uh, some that we made, some that we uh, traded, some that we bought from Peru because some things you can't get here uh, in any other way. And Peru's kind of where they all come from. Uh, but eventually, yeah, so, you know, my son Dylan, um, you know, we had taught him how to run the tractor. He was mowing the fields and mowing the grass. And, you know, scoop and poop is not a real technical thing, and it doesn't matter how much you mess it up, there will be more the next day. So, uh, but he he, he was always very willing to do all that, but that was as far as his connection had been at that point. And um, oddly enough, it was my older sister who lives in Oregon who said, you know, you ought to teach Dylan how to weave. You know, and some things you, like you said, you don't see on the surface because you're in the middle of it. Um, and you know, being autistic, I I didn't know how he would be able to absorb that. Uh, you know, it's a very technical, it's technical, but it's not difficult. Right. Yeah. Then I started, then then I started to think about it. You know, it's a very pre-described thing. Um, I actually do the patterns. Uh, I use a piece of software that I download, uh, to, and there's books out there with patterns that once you learn the process, of learning what a pattern is saying to you, um, mm-hmm. you can understand how to do it. So, you know, we first did some simple things. We did some rugs, which were very sim- simple to do, and he seemed to like it. So, you know, we kept taking it to the next level, and eventually he got to where he was pretty consistent. And that's the thing about autism is they deal with objective things very well. Mm-hmm. If it's something's a black and white, there is no subjective judgment. It's either this or it's that. There is no well. If it's it, then maybe it's that or whatever. Right. You know. So that that played into his strengths of of being uh, rigidly formatted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I just kept trying new patterns with him to see, you know, what he could do, and he's gotten to where he's really good at it. He's been at since 2015 now. Uh, in fact, he got so good that I'd stopped weaving. Um, so I really just concentrate on working with, uh, we hand dye a lot of the yarn, uh, and then coming up with patterns that seem interesting. Um, and then I just give it to him. I say, here's what you've got. You know, we're going to make, we make two scarves at a time. So we put them on the loom end to end um so he'll do one and he stops and he starts the second one it just saves time and saves material uh, because you have waste every time you do any of that so we've tried to reduce the the not so fun parts of putting it in the loom which takes a long time yeah Uh, but he really he really in fact he just finished uh, a scarf last night um and he's very quick when he's really got his mindset to it. He can do two scarves uh, in a couple of days. 
Wow. Uh, plus playing video games and, you know, watching his uh, video stuff that he likes and everything else that he does in between. But he really is, you know, motivated to, to do stuff. And now he really, you know, once I started putting his stuff out on Instagram that he's working and he sees that people are reacting to it, it, it just takes his motivation to the next level. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he always kind of talks, like, oh, well, when I start my weaving business, I'm going to do this and that, and, you know. Um, so, you know, he he is able to think about it in, in the long term. Um, but, you know, eventually, you know, I mean, he's always going to be here with us unless something different happens in all of our lives. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, you know, it's good to have him here. And it, he makes a meaningful contribution to everything that we do. Um, and he enjoys the process. He, he enjoys the celebrity aspect of people's, you know, because we actually put his picture uh, and a, a little story about him on every card for every scarf that uh, that he makes. So, you know, people, you know, will ask for Dylan's scarves. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a neat thing. That's super neat. I love that story when you shared that with me. Um and I want to ask you, Len, because I know when we had met and we had come to the farm, um, at the time you were doing shows, but now how can we support that work and purchase Dylan's work? Do you have any um, site or shop set up for his work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have, oh, cool. we have, our, our, we have our website, uh, Take Two Alpacas. Uh, that's the number two, take the number two alpacas.com. I'm sure you have places to put links on, on oh, the yes. podcast, I assume. Yep. Yes, yeah. show notes. You so got it. Oh, here we are. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. We have a uh, we have an online shop, but we also invite people to come here to the farm because half mm -hmm. the half the fun of buying things are coming to the farm. Yeah. Yeah. We do we do kind of concentrate our efforts um, selling and visiting and everything in the fall because you know. Who wants an alpaca scarf in the middle of summer? You know, <laughs> so we actually we actually start uh, our efforts with Weaver's Orchard in the middle of September. We go through the end of October with them, uh, and then we have a big event second weekend in November here at the farm. We might get two or three hundred people on you know normal days um, over that weekend. They'll come and they'll visit the alpacas. They get to come in the field with them and pet them and walk around with them and, you know, spend as much time as they want to there. And then we have our farm store with our wares and sometimes some visiting craftspeople. We actually have the guy who lives next door or across the street from us raises bees and he has honey. Um, so it's a pretty eclectic kind of a event. But we'll also do some other uh, local events. And uh, on our website, you'll see our calendar of events. It's not updated this right now because we don't right. know what the year, this, this year is going to bring. Um, but we pretty much work from September through the end of the year and then sporadically uh, by appointment after that. Um, middle of the winter is not a great time to visit alpacas because it's usually cold and wet and snow and mud and, you know, um, but then in, in, uh, April, which we're only, uh, just under two months away from shearing them, they'll get sheared. Um, and then they'll all have a fresh new haircut and, uh, mm -hmm. then we'll, we'll send 
some of that fleece to uh, a mill to get yarn made. We'll send others parts of it to a co-op that we participate in. Um, there's several uh, northeastern uh, alpaca farmers that participate, and so we all kind of pool our yarn. And there's a manufacturing aspect of it. They make things that we can't make, right. so we buy them back. We buy them back at wholesale, and we're able to say, okay, this is American-grown, American-made, and our yarn is likely a part of it. So that's one one aspect of what we do. But then, you know, we do make stuff ourselves, uh, primarily the scarves and some hats, and even, even dryer balls, which is now oh. a big uh, big seller, um, which helps. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So, you know, we've kind of expanded what we do over the years, but now that my wife and I are both kind of uh, pretty much retired, we're able to put more uh, emphasis in what we do in here and spend more time and possibly expand our, you know, crafting, um, selling to the public and being out in the public. Uh, but we find for the most part, people really like seeing the animals as a part of the experience. Yeah. And we try to, we really try to find venues that make sense for us to do that because it's, you know, a lot of work to set up taking the pens out and tents out and tables out and, and all that. So you don't want to just do a once and done kind of thing. So yeah, that's why Weaver's that works. a lot. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, add, add, add putting animals into into the mix oh. on top of that. And you've got, oh, a, you've got a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A whole so, new can of worms for sure. Yeah. Um, that, that's good. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I really miss the Folk Fest and the Reading Guild show in Belgium oh, yeah. and everything. But I'll be honest with you, it's been yeah. kind of, it's been a little bit kind of nice break to be uh, not vending all the time because like you said, it's mm -hmm. a lot of work and we don't even have animals, yeah. but it is a lot of work and um, it's been kind of nice to recoup and work on some other projects this year. And luckily we had an online presence already established, so we did pretty well. We did okay. So... I know Hunter's antsy to get back out there, though. So um, hopefully yeah, uh, yeah. when he gets vaccinated and stuff, uh, he'll be able to do that. But I love that story so much. And my son and I did come out to the farm. I think it was probably in winter, though, because I remember snow, I think. <laughs> so I'd love to come out when you guys have another event. And definitely for my listeners, check it out. You are in Moton. And that, to me, we're actually, is... We're, yeah, we're actually in Green Hills. It's a mountain oh, address Hill. because we're so... We're actually so rural, uh, yeah. but we're off of uh, Route 10 between Reading and, and um, Morgantown. Uh, right. We're kind of yeah. back, in the boonies, back in the boonies. Yeah, and it's uh, not a far people, No, no. Sorry, but we're, we're definitely off the beaten path. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes. You're about, you're about near about 30 minutes, maybe. Yeah, it's not bad um, at all for my friends listening from Boyertown. It's, it's a nice little ride um, and definitely worth the trip. <laughs> Yeah, but if you if you check out our our uh, website or Facebook presence, we uh, will publicize you know our our public events. And really, we have one big uh, public event in November. Uh, it's a good time of year. You know, it's not too hot, not too cold, and then people are beginning to think about winter. Um, yeah. And the animals are nice, nice and fuzzy by then, so they're nice to to be around. Um, 
So that, that works out. You know, we tried to do another event, but that just seemed to be the best uh, formula for us to, you know, that time of year. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice time of year for shows, too. Um, the bugs are kind of gone, which is nice. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about um, the Hexine tour and some of the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had done the, you know, the, the videos. I'd given them videos uh, to put on their website, which would help them promote things year-round. Um, in fact, there's a, uh, a little YouTube channel that I put together with all kind of similar things on it. It's called uh, Folk Life Chronicle. Yeah. Um, it has um, an interview with the lady that runs the quilt barn, uh, which I thought was an interesting story there. Uh, it has that. I haven't gotten around to doing some of the other things, but... Um, you know, it has a little bit of this, a little of that, uh, but everything's kind of similar. The, the original uh, Expressions of Common Hands is featured there uh, on that YouTube channel. Um, so you can you can check out that stuff there. And there's even some um, uh, Dave Klein wrote a, a polka about the Kutztown Folk Festival. And, and, you know, of course, he wanted to get that out there. So um, I shot some video of, of kids square dancing and clogging and all that kind of stuff to go with it. So, you know, I've just kind of had my own love affair with, with the festival over the years, even though I don't have a, a drop of Pennsylvania German blood in me. Um, it's just something that, you know, I just felt an affinity for. Yes, so, sir. you know, I just kind of dove in and, and did what I could to, to help it along. It's very wonderful, and you, your work has definitely reaped huge benefits for us. Um, I know when I first got into Hexines, the Hexine portion of the uh, original um, film that you worked on came up and was really fun to see Johnny Claypool in all of his glory um, live mm -hmm. on video. It was really neat to watch. Um, and, of course, we all come to Pennsylvania Dutch culture for different reasons, regionally or just there's a lot of people that just really, really enjoy it. And it's all part of our story as Americans, you know? Um, so it's really mm -hmm. neat that you've, you've taken this interest and, and made it um, into a way to educate people as well. Um, I know I showed the film at school as an art teacher and it was really neat to watch the kids see it. And I really love the way that it was written and scripted and narrated. And I wanted to ask you, do you write the scripts for the films? You, that you worked on. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah very nice everything is either everything's either coming out of the mouths of the interviewers or coming out, uh, you know, from me writing it. You know, I do hire narrators because my southern drawl doesn't really work on this kind of thing <laughs> very well. Um, so, but I do have narrators that I put put to the project, and um, you know, um, most of it. Now, I will say. I will give credit where credit is due. In the beginning, the, the, the kind of the introduction of the myths and legends video um, was adapted from a portion of uh, a book written by Patrick Dunmore. And I talked to him about it. And I said, you know, I read what you wrote there. And I said, I've been toying with what I wanted to say. And I said, you just 
managed to encapsulate my thoughts on this. Um, can I use this and, you know, uh, gave credit where credit was due, but, uh, but everything else, um, you know, I just took the interviews, um, kind of looked at the, um, past, present and future of things. Now, I do want to go back to the past just for a second, because there's a couple of people that need to be mentioned that are, yeah. were instrumental in this, that, um, my, my goal in doing this piece in the first place was to understand how it got where it is. You know, originally it was on barns and now it's everywhere. Um, and, the, and the festival really was kind of the turning point really of how that came to be, uh, back in the, somewhere in the mid fifties, they had, um, a barn painter who was doing signs on barns. His name was Milton Hill. Yes. Um, he, he was actually, they would actually, uh, paint, um, facsimiles of barn sides with the signs, the, the rosette signs painted on them, but they were big, large, you know, probably eight foot square pieces. Um, and, you know, he'd be painting them and talking to people and, and people would say, well, where can I get one of these? He said, well, do you have a barn? I'll come paint it. Well, people didn't have that and that's not what they wanted. They wanted something they could take home with them. So, um, the director of the festival at that time said, well, why don't we just cut some smaller versions of these out and do them, make them more portable. So they started doing that to fulfill that need. Uh, and then in the process, uh, another Pennsylvania Dutch, um, folk artist, Johnny Ott, who had a restaurant actually nearby, um, saw these and, you know, he, he was definitely the showman and the, and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the perfect uh -huh. persona to, to carry it to the next phase. Um, in fact, if, if you, if you want to see the works of Johnny Ott, all you got to go to is a place called Deitch Eck, yeah. um, in Charlottesville. And it's a step back into the, into the mind of Johnny Ott because he actually painted a lot of his own work on the walls of this restaurant, uh, which is now owned by somebody else. But, uh, they keep talking about taking the walls down and taking them to the Smithsonian because they're definitely that important to the development of, of, uh, this art form. So those are a couple of people that really were instrumental in making the jump of the art form from Barnes to being in the hands of people and being able to go around the world. Uh, because, you know, these, uh, Eric Claypool can tell you, he, he ships stuff, you know, people have bought from him all over the world. Yeah. Um, so th that was kind of the, the turning point in the story was going from being something that was on barns, but it was not portable. Um, and it didn't exist anywhere else. It, it existed in some fashion in other art forms in painted trunks and in painted tinware and other things, but hex signs in their own right only existed on barns. I don't think you saw, would see a hex sign 
you might see one on a on a um, on a trunk, but okay. there are so few of them, yeah. you know that, that that was still not very portable. Um, so as part of being the commercial commercialization, really of the art form at the festival, you know, not for the sake of being commercial, but for the sake of people understanding it and taking it home and appreciating it. Uh, that's kind of where they kind of jumped off the barn and into people's hands. So yeah. um, I just thought that was an important step of the process because I didn't know where that took place and how it took place. And through my doing the video, you know, that's how I learned it. Um, so, you know, it's all been a, a journey of discovery for me. Um, you know, and now what happens to the video? I don't know. Uh, I'm a better I'm better at producing them than I am at promoting them, <laughs> but uh, that's okay too. You know, a, a true uh, artist, I, I, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I did I did what I wanted to do, and <laughs> yeah. So, but um, you know, so that that's kind of how my journey has kind kind of come to an end with that. You know, this this is kind of a culminating thing uh, for me to at least talk about it to somebody else that will. Yeah. then carry it on somewhere else. Yes, and definitely check it out because it's neat that um, through Mastoff, which is a friend of mine as well, they did uh, two of my children's books, um, you're able to purchase it, and I will definitely link that up. And you can also purchase a streaming version of the film, and that's very, very wonderful, especially if you're going to be using it. I know myself as an art teacher, I run into a lot of lessons and art teachers that teach hex science, and I think this is a nice... Um, thing to go along with teaching the children about the hex signs because as I mentioned I really enjoyed your scripts and I think it's written very well and it's not it's not over over um, oh, what's the word that I want it's not overkill I guess in, in yeah. the actual specific uh, too much detail. Yeah. exactly yeah. so it's really nice for children or people who are new to learning about this I think it's a really great introductory film to learning about hex science because it's not overkill in like the, the 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 wording or the technique or the technical stuff it's just very 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 nice um basic understanding of where they came from and how they came to be and I love that about the film I love that about being able to show it to multiple audiences I was super bummed that I didn't see it take off for you because you know it was done very well and you you even used um, some drones to make some some really beautiful mm -hmm. video of um, some of the some of the properties and um, it's just a beautiful film I was really hoping I know for a little while you were looking into um, like we have an old state theater in Boyertown and, and other towns in our area of maybe showing it in that way. And I know um, the film Hiva Vidriva that they did um, mostly in Germany, it was, it was all, the funding was done in Germany at least, um, mm -hmm. that they yeah. had some, they had some, they had some real, um, they had, they had a really great opportunity to show that little bit locally here, but I, I'm hoping in the future, if we, you know, get back to the Folk Fest, maybe there'd be an opportunity to do a showing there because I know they had a showing for vendors of the Hiva Vidriva, which was really neat. And we were able to purchase mm -hmm. tickets and it was just, it was a nice time to gather. Um, so maybe there's, there is still hope, but I appreciate um, oh, yeah. that you've made it so accessible to Len. I love that it's um, 
able to be streamed as well. And um, please, folks, check this film out. It's, it's really, really a nice survey of, of hex science and, and folk art and, and the way it came to be and also modern interpretations of it. So it was a great gift to our community and we really appreciate your efforts, Len. Um, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about was the hex tour, the hex sign tour that you also helped yeah. with, um, I think you yeah. helped produce the CD that accompanies the hex sign tour, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, you know, was one of the things that I thought was going to be a good idea, but then, but then it wasn't. Um, it's it's the, tricky. Well, well, there's a couple of problems with it. You know, the hex, the hex tour is something that people can go out they can they can view around thirty barns that really have great examples of of Pennsylvania German um, hex signs in a very short you know you're not driving so much and not seeing a lot of stuff but right. um, there is a there is a tour in fact I I produced an audio CD that would tell you about what you were seeing as you went along. Um, the problem with that is that the barns change over time. Mm. Some of them get repainted. Some of them uh, at one point in time looked a certain way, and now they look a different way. And others, the the barn stars are no longer there. Others, there's new ones. So it's kind of a, a thing that's in flux. But um, the, the Myths and Legends video actually gives you a good highlight of the tour uh, of what I think are some of the more important ones. Uh, so you during during this hour, I take time to stop and look at different barns in particular and talk about um, what's what's important about them and what you should look for. Um, so it, it is a good introduction. And then if you want to take the tour after that, then you have already seen these things and understand what they are. So then when you see them in person, you'll have a better appreciation of them. And I think that's probably in the in the end probably the best best way to go about it. But yeah, there is a um, I don't know the website offhand that publishes the. Uh, there's actually two um, Barnstar tours. Um, one starts in Kutztown and ends there, but there's another one up on Route 22. Is that right? Mm -hmm. There's yeah. there's a different one in in. Um, in the Allentown area, I've gone through that one as well, but that was more commercialized. They're trying to sell ad space to the people on the map, saying yeah. you know different 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 uh, restaurants and things of that nature buy ad space. It's kind of like a menu on menu at a uh, at a restaurant. You know, you've got the map, but then you've got all these advertisers around it, which is fine. Um, but uh, but the 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 true essence of, of the Barnstar tour. Um, well, you can put it on your, your uh, podcast uh, as a link. I don't remember it offhand, but um, there, there is one that starts at the Cultural Heritage Center. Um, and that's a good one to go see because you can actually walk up to it. Um, the others, you just kind of look at them from the road. Um, but you know, there, there's about 30 barns in a very nice country um, drive. I suggest doing it in spring. Yeah. <laughs> um, generally in May, because it's, it's really beautiful. Everything's out. Uh, I actually 
photographed it in all four seasons. I don't know if that became obvious in the video. Uh, that was yeah. a suggestion from from Dave Fuchs, but uh, I've got some in the snow and I've got some in the summer and some in the fall leaves and, and everything. Um, so it, you know, I definitely, I spent about five years doing the thing uh, off and on just because of other things that I had to get done. Um, but so it gave me an opportunity to take that tour several times. Uh, and every time I would see something different. Um, so that, that kind of made it uh, more interesting to me as, as the, you know, the producer of the video. Um, so, you know, uh, it wasn't just to go out and see it and then talk about it. You know, right. I, I kind of lived it for a long time. I, I could almost do the thing without knowing what the next turn was because it, it's quite a windy tour out in, out in the boonies yeah. there. Yeah. It's funny because I'll often, you know, I get around, I don't really get around that area very often, but I get around in Lehigh Valley a lot. And then I'll get around like in Boyertown, Bechtelsville, like Valley, those areas, um, Hereford, and they just sneak up on you, you know, and oftentimes, you know, you, you're driving and it's a little tricky. So it was always nice to have a map. I actually, um, with that inspiration, uh -huh. I made my own map for my students, which I teach in Bechtelsville. And it was all of our area, Hexine. Um, but, you know, and mm -hmm. something that Patrick, Patrick and I talked about this when I interviewed him, um, you know, being respectful because it is private property and that's something to really right. keep in mind. And, uh, you know, it can get tricky, but it's, it's really neat to see. And we also talked about his, his data on all of the hex signs that he was able to find and identify. And I had asked if, you know, that would ever become public. And he's mentioned because of that and the respect for people's privacy, he's very, very careful about that but it was so right. kind of him and nice to hear that you guys were able to share that information so that you had sort of a, a jump start with your with your um finding the hexines to highlight in the film and i love that you took portions of the hexine tour which your wife you had told me was the narrator and her voice is lovely right. and it's very it's just it's a very relaxing and enjoyable film <laughs> i mean you're very good at what you do len the music is lovely and just the way it was pieced together. I know the editing process can be very unnerving, but I, I just love the film so much. And I really um, want people to go out and enjoy it themselves as well. So with that being said, Len, we have come to our hour and I just want to thank okay. you so, so much for your time and for sharing all of the wonderful things that you have been cooking up. And also, I guess you would—I guess you would call this a passion project for having this interest in hex science and and continuing this yeah. um, this journey that you went on. And and it's neat to see. It was also really cool for me to see after watching the first film to be able to see Eric Claypool and kind of how the torch had been passed from his dad to him, uh -huh. and and to see yeah. him come into his own in that way. It was very powerful and 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 um moving moment and also to see Ivan Hoyt um he's now he's now our elder in hex science and the person that we look to yeah. as 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 like uh, you know an elder in our in our community and well, he's always yeah. conducted himself so well and he's just so revered and we just have so much respect for him so I'm, I'm really happy to see those two um side-by-side -side versions of these these people and to see the process of how they developed and evolved um, over the over that uh, time. How, how much 
how much grayer everybody got in the process. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, right. I know. I was looking in the mirror this morning. I don't even need to get highlights anymore. It's all gray, and I'm, you know, I'll take it because there you go. Done. I'm over it. Listen, I am very excited, yeah. Len, about aging. I think it's it's nice to be in a time in my life. I just turned forty, where you care a little less about other people think, and you feel more established in your own ethics and, and sort of direction. Mm -hmm. It's a nice place to be. I like it. Um, but yeah, Ivan Hoyt, he's, he's played Bell Snickle many times. He told me, and he's just got the whole look down. He's just such a, such a lovely and jolly person. <laughs> just, yeah, I miss them very, very much. We miss all of you guys and seeing people at the folk fest and stuff. So hopefully we'll get to see you all soon. And, um, and wishing you the best. And I hope that the November event can happen and we'll certainly come out and visit. It would be really fun to see, see you and see the alpacas again and maybe get to meet Dylan. Um, that would be a real joy. So. All right. Thank well, you glad, again. I'm Len. glad you, I'm glad you uh, invited me to participate in this. It's, uh, you know, probably telling another part of the story that uh, is not obvious from the film. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's always good to look behind the curtain sometimes. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And we really appreciate your efforts. You worked really, really hard to put this film together. We really appreciate it. So thank you very, very much for joining me, Len, and Max Gut. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Thanks. the way that you operate. But the biggest takeaway that